Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Today we're going to talk to Dave Slane and we're going to talk about patterning. Dave's hanging out at the Hoppy Compound, the Muskie Mayhem headquarters, doing a little fishing with Brad. And so that's kind of how that's going to go. Dave's going to take over the show. Brad's going to help him out. And for anybody that cares, last week we kind of dove into it a little bit, not a lot. I'm still not super in the mood to talk fishing yet. I will be at some point, but um, recently my dad passed away, and so um, things have been a little difficult for the last two weeks. So we're still putting out podcasts because we're committed to doing that. In fact, this episode was one that Brad and I had talked about doing much sooner. It wasn't a super surprise that my dad was gone. It was a surprise that it was this early, but we kind of knew at some point we were going to need some spare episodes, and we thought we had a little more time, Brad, and um, turns out that we didn't, so... Here we are tonight talking to Dave, and we're super grateful that Brad's always got people hanging around the uh, hanging around the shop, helping him out, going fishing, and uh, Dave's gonna kind of lay it all out. So, with that being said, how are you two guys doing tonight? Doing very good, thank you, Jeff. Things have been good, Jeff. Little cold front the last two days here, dealing with some rain. But we still are putting some fish in the boat. Dave's been fishing with a buddy of his from Illinois. And uh, I've been guiding every day. So, but I can't complain. Um, got a fish today, had two yesterday, and things are starting to pick up. So it's looking good. Yeah, I haven't been out on the water much lately. And that stands to change, I don't know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks things get settled into new normal or whatever and then i can get back out but i mean i'm things have obviously made a 180 in my world over here as far as temperature is concerned from where it was just a week ago and i'm assuming you guys are much the same what are you looking at for water temps over there in minnesota well it's kind of interesting enough um i've been on different bodies of water every day so you know it's anywhere from like 72 to 74 yesterday is what i've seen and today i've seen 70 degrees dave was on a different body of water and so i don't know what the low was last night but right around 50 ish and it definitely had a little bit of effect especially yesterday with the rain too so as i was fishing yesterday i seen uh, the lake temps drop one degree while we were out and then those low temps last night definitely kind of shot things back down so I think uh, tonight, I think it's supposed to be in the high 40s, like 48-ish. Man, that's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, if you think back three weeks, Jeff, three weeks ago, everybody was concerned about these water temps and how early this was all kind of coming about. So here we sit, completely different game again. That's that's the musky fishing game, right? I mean, just when you think you know the rules, you don't know the rules, and you got to reinvent it all and figure it all out again yeah absolutely i mean i had a guy call me today looking to book a trip in august unfortunately i'm booked up so i told him i said man i, I don't even know i mean i can't tell you what to think because if you look at the 10 10 days it's showing 90s all next week again <laughs> are we going to be back in the same boat here in a week or two where it's climbing and climbing and climbing again it could very well happen but We'll see where it goes. That's what you can do. But I do think that uh, Dave's topic tonight, I mean, he's kind of put some time into this. And and it's something that we've hinted on for multiple podcasts over the couple of years. Dave kind of came up with a calibrated uh, list of how 
you can actually go locate fish. Before we get into Dave, we should probably talk about if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're your source for, and we used to say custom colors, exclusive colors, that kind of stuff. And we still have tons of that stuff. So um, if you're looking for something that not everybody has, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. I know that we've still been shipping orders regularly during this time. Things might have taken a couple extra hours than what they normally would. We have not done a real good job of updating our website with new products that we have. So uh, watch our website soon enough. I'll get back onto that. And we have a bunch of stuff that piled up here in the shop, new colors and different stuff. And I think even a few new products. So if you want, check that out, teamrhinooutdoors.com. And the other place you're going to want to check out would be... Well, the next company, I guess, would be a company that I'm associated with, and that is Musky Mayhem Tackle. And you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, our website, as well as the YouTube channel. And we're known for building the big-bladed Flashaboo Bucktails. And, uh, you know, we kind of started this whole thing where the originators of Flashaboo Bucktails, very proud of it. We appreciate all the customers out there. Check us out if you're interested in some of those products. All right, Dave, now the floor is yours. It's uh, You got about, I don't know, 50 minutes or so to talk. Hopefully you can hold it together as well as Matt Seifert does. So it's big shoes for you to fill tonight. I cannot fill those shoes. That's impossible. <laughs> Matt, Matt can make a two-minute story into 30 minutes when he tells it. So I I don't have that ability. The, the man just entertains. He's one of the most entertaining people you've Everman, not only one of the best fishermen, but he, he just entertains. So I can't compete with Matt Seifert. No way. I, I will disagree, Jeff. And, you know, we've had Dave on before. Dave has done this game a long time. And then actually, one of the, you know, I think we even told the story probably last year. Dave kind of helped out Matt when Matt first started getting into this whole thing before uh, Matt ended up dead, more than likely. But uh, Matt always does a great job. He's a super fisherman. But Dave's no slouch, so hang on. <laughs> yeah, so today the topic is not only is it a topic, you know, when you talk about a subject, you're like, all right, that one's easy to, to really understand, but difficult to implement. You know, you've heard those topics before. Well, this one is really difficult to understand and even more difficult to implement. So it's one of those really tough ones to explain, and that is how do you pattern muskies? How do you pattern the fish? What do you pay attention to? How do you break it down? And the whole idea that I had when I was talking with Brad on this one was, how do I break it down to the basics? Because you have a lot of guides on here that the basics, they just are now assumed because they're so far in advance when they pattern things. They're so, so past that advanced level that I think a lot of people miss the basics. It's kind of like the fundamentals of basketball, if anyone's a basketball fan. Without those fundamentals, you kind of miss the basics. It's, the fundamentals can make someone who's really not that talented compete just as well as someone who is talented without fundamentals. So it's the same thing with uh, patterning, you know, muskies is what do you really pay attention to? Um, so I came up with four things. That's it. Only four that you have to pay attention to in the basics. But before I start there, we got to talk about some of the rules behind them. The first one is we're going to assume the only thing you're running is a 2D sonar. I know, mic drop. Yes, the new electronics today hurt you in understanding how to pattern fish. They will hurt you. 
Now, if you're advanced and you understand the basics, they help you tremendously. But if you don't understand the basics, they hurt you because you're counting so much on what you visually see in the, on the electronics, you're not paying attention to your surroundings. So one of the things about it is it's really assuming you just have a 2D depth finder. That's it. That's all you have on. That's how I want you to learn how to do and pattern fish when I talk about this is just that. And let's define the word pattern, because I think that also gets uh, complicated with uh, people assuming what that means. There are multiple patterns on a lake at any given time. There are fish using that entire body of water in different parts at any given time. So really all you're looking for when I say pattern is really finding the area or areas that have the largest population of active fish. All right. So that's what a pattern means is you're able to get to an area that has the largest population of active fish that you can go to and predict what they're doing. That doesn't mean it's the only pattern. That just means that's the one that you're on with the most active fish you have found. Other people may have found with even more active fish. So one of the parts that when you look at defining that is what are the four key parts I'm going to pay attention to? The first one is what time is it? I know it's simple, but what time is it? It's the first one. The second one is where is your boat? That's it. Where is your boat? The third one is when a fish follows your bait up, where was your bait? It's important. When the fish follows your bait up, where was your bait? And the last one is be prepared. Be mentally prepared. And I'll explain all those because they're all there. So let's talk about the first one. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just put my finger up to, to interrupt Dave a little bit. And one of the reasons that Dave came up with this whole concept was he does listen to the uh, the podcast quite regularly. Right? For sure. So, Love it. Um, you know, the crazy thing about this is everybody wants to know, what's the water temp? What's the water temp? And Dave was like, why does everybody get so hung up on water temp? And I think we kind of touched on this in last week's episode in the sense that Matt and I are kind of going back on the whole water temp thing for the open water trolling bite. It's, it's a calendar thing more so than anything. And, and that this week, it's already starting to show that it is more of a calendar thing. But I think where Dave was coming from is he is so, he's like dumbfounded, I, I would say. Right, Dave? I mean, you're dumbfounded that people get hung up on water temp instead of actually fishing. Yeah, correct. I mean, water temp is irrelevant to, to, to fishing. And when I say that, I mean, what, what's the relevance of water temperature once it gets to over 80 degrees? Be careful, right? That's irrelevant. But anything below that, um, it really is irrelevant. What's relevant is what are the fish telling you? Now, I'm not saying stick your head in the water and go, fish, what are you doing? No. What are the fish telling you as you are fishing? And what happens typically is if you're a water temperature person, you limit where you fish. And that limitation stops you from finding what the fish are actually doing. So that's why I basically say water temperature is irrelevant because it doesn't matter. I've had a pattern at 63 degree water temps that was the same as 676 degree water temps. Now, I mean, come on, that's not supposed to be the, 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 the case, but yes, it really is. So in my opinion, and I've always told Brad that, that to me, water temperature just doesn't matter at all. I would agree, Dave. I mean, it becomes more 
normal all the time. I mean, if, if you really think back, you think back to everything. It, it's like the same thing with bait. Oh, the water temp is this. Now I can't throw a blade. Oh, the water temp is this. I have to throw rubber. Oh, it, it, it's on and on and on and on. Now, with that in mind, I would say that, you know, a major cold front could make some changes, but they're going to change on location. They're not going to necessarily change what they were eating. Um, there's, there's a lot of differences that you have to think about. And so water temp is less important than I think all musky fishermen really consider it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a lot of people who are going to probably argue this and, and they'll know what, but if you're really paying attention to what the fish are telling you and you're not limiting yourself to where you can go, uh, you're going to find more fish. You're going to find um, more, more information to make a better pattern. And that's why I think it's irrelevant for that very reason. I was going to say, you do know that you just blew a bunch of people's minds, right? Absolutely. All right, good. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you think about it. I, I think it goes right into what Dave's talking about here. That's why I kind of interrupted him there. Um, that's what actually planted the seed to actually put this together. I mean, I know that for a fact because Dave and I talked about it. And I'm like, man, you know, that's very solid input. It, it's something that people really don't want to talk or about or, or admit because water temperatures everything. And I can tell you, I was that guy too because, man, I would get – 72 to 74 and I'd be stoked but I wouldn't catch a darn thing because I would limit myself to a weed edge and and that doesn't matter so the, the water temperature doesn't matter what matters are fish everything that you can and and figure out where those fish are hanging out and you can start at the most predictable places there's nothing wrong with that assuming a weed edge or assuming a rock edge or assuming a rock hump or assuming, assuming sand whatever you're your gig is on that particular body of water that you're used to. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't limit yourself to that. Throw in new spots constantly. So too old, too new, right? That's kind of a good rule is that when you're fishing something and you haven't been there in a while, too old, too new, do not continue to um, uh, fish the same stuff all the time. Or if it's not too old, too new, what you do is you do two weeds, two rocks, and then you go from two, uh, two rocks to two sands and you go to two rocky points. Uh, to two shallow rock humps. Uh, the point is, is that you want to continue to change until you figure out where the highest population of, of muskies are based upon the most information you can have within the period of time you're fishing. Um, the, the bad news is, is for weekend warriors, it's really difficult to do. Um, so if you go out and it's just um, a weekend, most likely, if you're lucky enough, you got your first 24 hours, and you get you can at least guess on a pattern and do much better the second day. But it's very difficult to do for weekend warriors. There's no doubt about that. And sometimes the weekend warrior does better than the guys that have been fishing all week. So you just, you just don't know. I mean, it, it kind of goes to your two spots, too old, too new. Right. So it doesn't mean that it can't happen. That's for sure. Not at all. Not at all. So we'll go into the, the first one, which is what time? Is it? Well, a muskie doesn't wear a wristwatch, but what time is it important? And there's two facets to time. And the reason why you're paying attention to time is for two things. One is moon phase. Everyone knows about moon phase. People talk about moon phase. And you want to know where within that moon phase that fish actually hit. Now, do I need to know it's at 245? No. 
I just need to know what's in the first part of the moon phase or the last part of the moon phase or the middle of the moon phase. And you can just look at it and make sure you fish that, you know, hour of the moon phase or that hour and a half of the moon phase. So it's important that you know relatively close to where that uh, time of that muskie actually came from. The second part is just time of day. So if it's at 2.30, a lot of times, and I think more often than not recently, fish have been hitting at 2.30 for a week or two weeks or three weeks. And I made up the time of 2.30. It can be 5, it could be 8, it could be 9 in the morning. I don't fish much before 9 in the morning, so fish never eat before 9 in the morning in my world. But they hit a certain time. So when you're out there and you're paying attention just to moon phases and say the fish ate at 2 o'clock, and then you, the moon phase starts at 3, and then you didn't want to go out and you didn't fish until 3, you missed that possibility that it's a 2 o'clock bite. And that can go on for a long time. And I know a lot of people have a hard time understanding that part because there's only two parts to time. Now, what's important? Follows are important. Hits are important. It's rule law. So if you go somewhere and you have 10 follows and you go somewhere else and you have two follows and one hit, the hit is more important than the follows. So that's, you know, kind of understanding where the timing, what time is it? When I say that, what does it mean? There's only two parts. Where is it fit in the moon phase? And or what time is it at the constant? And that's where the uh, uh, first part of what time is it matters. Hopefully that is, I made sense to that. Yeah, I think, you know, the relevance of this whole part is, you know, you've been in a different boat than I have, Dave, in the last couple of days. So I don't know exactly what time you caught yesterday, but ours was like literally two minutes after moon. And then we got one about 45 minutes later. So, I mean, definitely moonrise was probably in effect. Today, we got one three hours before moon, no relevancy to the moon whatsoever. And moon came along and I felt like we were in a really good spot. No, it didn't happen. So, but keeping track of that in your mind, I mean, maybe even on paper for some people. So, if you keep that in mind, you can pattern that whole part of it. And time is a big factor, hands down. I don't care what anybody says. There's windows like that. I, I talked about it a year ago where one whole year for three months, I think it was, we caught fish almost every day at 5 p.m. It was 5 p.m. to 5.15, and it was insane. Every day we'd get one fish during that time frame. It had nothing to do with the moon, but that's when they wanted to have dinner, I guess. It, yeah, it's strange. So those are the two parts that when you're learning the pattern of fish and what fish you're doing is of what time is it. So when you ask yourself, what time is it, you want to make sure you're either relating to a specific constant time and or you're relating that time to a moon phase. And once you do that and relate it to a moon phase, let's use that one since Brad just used the constant. And let's say it's in the first hour of the major. You always want to make sure you're in your prime spot at the first hour of the major because that's where those fish are going to eat is the first hour of the major. And that should last a good three, four, five days, if not longer. I've seen it for weeks, but I would say for the most part, typically it's a three-day thing minimum. It really normally doesn't change that often. There's 80-20 rule I'm talking there because obviously there's always the exceptions. So that's a, a summary of the what time is it and why that's important. The exception can be used sometimes, though, too. True. Thinking that you're on the right spot at the right time. True. And I always question myself on that, but you got to go to your best spot. You know, if you're casting, it's easy because you 
you've already located some fish, hopefully, and you're going to go to your best spot at that point. So let's shift gears. Like, what's the next one? Next one is where is your boat? And everyone like would, I think maybe laugh at that one a little bit, but what I see from a lot of people that fish is they're just out loving and rightfully so, but they don't always necessarily know where their boat is when they're fishing. And they may not know where their boat is when actually fish shows up. Those are two important things. So when you're taking care of and actually driving a boat, know where your boat is in related to the structure you're casting. So for instance, if your boat is a boat length off of the weed edge, you want to know you're a boat length off of the weed edge. If your boat is on directly on the weed edge, you want to know your boat's directly on the weed edge. If your boat is on the uh, edge about, say, let's call it 20 foot off the edge of a rock high spot, but you're only in six foot rocks, eight foot rocks, you want to know that. And you want to know that's where you were when something happened when you were casting onto a three or two foot high rock high spot. My point is, is that you want to know where that is. So let's take it a little step further. On a weed edge, you want to know that you're, when that fish came up, that that weed edge came to a point or that weed edge came into a curve. What's the old musky hunter thing I heard they used to call it? Garage. They called them garage. (laughs) An inside (laughs) turn. An inside turn. Or is it an outside point? Where was it on that type of weed edge? Um, Know where your boat is, you know. And the other thing that you can look at is the type of weed. That's going to get a little more advanced. Um, But I figured figured since we're talking about where your boat is, I mentioned it. But that gets a little bit more of the advanced side as the type of weed can also matter. And a lot of times, uh, there's one more key to this whole thing, Dave. As the zebra mussels have been more and more and more, definitely our old cabbage lines have now become coontail lines after the cabbage. So the weed line is further out in the system, but at the end of the day, you might need to only fish that cabbage. So you got to be aware where in that weed line, what is the depth or what is the line of those different kinds of transitions? Absolutely. And that's, and that's the key. That goes right into the next one, which is know where your lure lands and know what the speed of your lure is. Um, those are the, 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 that's the next one is, is this important? I know right now we're going to go, hang on a second, hang on. How am I going to know where my lure lands? Because I don't have any of my advanced electronics. I only have 2D sonar. Well, what you actually do is cast and see how far you get in there, and you take your trolling motor and actually drive in there and look. Oh, wait a second. You spooked them. No, you didn't. You didn't spook them. Just come back out. You're fine. You can just go in there and find out what it is, and so you know what it is in there, and you can look at it and see it. Is it rocky? Is it sandy? Is there an inside weed edge that you're hitting? Is it just cabbage? Is it a mix between cabbage and milfoil? Just drive in and look, and then come uh, angle your way right back out and go right back to wherever you were fishing so you know where that lure is landing. That's crucial. Know what it's landing in and know where your boat is. And then after that, it's speed. What is the speed? Now, why why are those important? Because you want to be able to duplicate that once you actually get a follow or a hit. And that's important to know that information. And as long as you have that boat location, then you can reproduce where that lure hits and you can reproduce the speed. And it really goes into, on the speed part, there's all different 
pieces of that because there's the dive and rise, there's the switch, there's a bucktail, there's a topwater. Well, on the dive and rise, what's the speed of your dive and rise on a switch? All people have all kinds of different twitch methods. They can matter. Bucktails, you can slow roll, you can medium, you can burn. Topwater, slow roll, medium, you can burn. You know, what were you doing? And then you want to try and recreate that situation. So the, this one, it, it has the most in it, I understand. But once your boat is in that location, then the third one becomes where does the lure land and what is the speed of that lure that you are doing, uh, bring it back. And another word of saying is what is the cadence you are retrieving it at? And those are the important parts of remembering. And why, And that's all you have to re- remember, right, are these, these things. So what time? Did a fish follow when it followed? Where is your boat? And then where's your lure land and what's your speed of retrieve back? Right? Those are the only three things you really have to remember in order to start to put a pattern together. And once you understand those three things, you can start getting information and putting it all together. When all of a sudden now you're fishing nothing but, you're fishing rock piles, by the second rock pile, you raised four fish total between the two rock piles, but all four fish came out of the high point of the rock pile. So my question to you would be, why are you fishing anything but high points of rock piles? That's what you should do. That's where you should focus should be until that proves to you different. That's a pattern, right? And understanding that as to why they came out in that manner. If you're fishing a weed edge, and let's say you your, your lure's actually hitting the weed edge because you're far enough off. And that's where the action comes. Why, if that's where the action is, why are you old, Why are you fishing anything else other than that until it produces otherwise? With one exception. I like to always throw new things in, in between throughout the day. I always do. Once I understand where fish are, because I'm always fishing new spots to find fish. Once I find fish and I understand where fish are, then I reproduce it, but still throw in other areas in between because there's always spots you can hit that aren't identical on the way to the next spot. And that's, that's it. That's the simplicity of how you gather your information is patterning a fish or those three things. Now I have a fourth. The fourth is be mentally prepared, which I laughed when I wrote that down. because I feel like it's someone telling you that when you're a kid and you're like, what the heck does that mean? Well, what that basically means is uh, you become what you think about, so in life, it's true. In fishing, it's true. You become what you think about. So if you're thinking that I am never going to find another fish because they hate me, you're not going to put your time in the water right. If you're thinking, oh, my God, I haven't caught any fish, so it's not going to happen again. Again, you're, you're recreating in your head a lack of consistency, a lack of patience, and either you'll give up early and or not be fishing it correctly. So make sure that you have a really positive attitude in there and know that, yeah, sometimes musky fishing can suck, but I'm still going to push through it because I know I'm going to find them. Um, when I fish, I always think I'm going to catch a fish. I mean, I don't, but I always think I am. Um, and that doesn't like, if, and if all of a sudden I go a day without a fish, I just think I'm going to catch a big one. So I'm earning it. Right. And that's where my mind goes. I never let my mind go the other direction, even if I go through a horrible, say, four or five day of just nothing, which definitely has happened to me. You just have to be able to stay positive through that so you're still doing the right things, paying attention to the right things, um, paying attention to the three things we just covered. 
Another question I get on patterning is how many fish make a pattern? Well, this, I believe that a pattern can begin with three fish. Not one, three. Now, obviously, the more information you get, the better the pattern can be. But three fish, in my opinion, is enough to start making a pattern and starting to make predictions as to where you're going to, uh, to fish. And I think 80% of the time, that works. And then from there, you just start catching fish. Another one that I can ask is, how long do I give it before I change a pattern? So let's say we're panning, we're, we're uh, at a pattern that everything's coming off the sand. And I just fished uh, 12 hours, and I did not get anything off of sand. What would I do? Well, my opinion is, after a half a day, I'm throwing in new things automatically, but I'm still hitting sand. After a full day, the next day, I will not hit sand. Maybe once, maybe twice, but I'm really not going to hit it. So I believe after a day, I'm going to try and see if that pattern moves to something else and start over. And it's just starting over again of two proven, two new, two proven, and or I'm fishing two weedy bays, two sandy bays, two rocky points, two, two shallow rock spots, two deep rock spots. I think you get my drift on that. So I would say anywhere after a day, you can start to assume that a, a pattern has changed if you have not gotten any fish. If you're still seeing the fish, don't change your pattern just because they're not eating. That's something else. We have to cover that in a different time frame. So it could be time again. I mean, you think about it. I mean, that, that's where you started with this. It could be the time frame. Absolutely. You know, and, and you have to approach those fish when they're ready to go. And if you're not, you're going to zero. 100% true. But if you're seeing them, they're there. So one scenario that I, I like to give an example is I was on a, pa- a pattern in Lake of the Woods. We were catching about three a day, maybe four, and seeing about, say, 10, 15. Well, another uh, group was on a different pattern in, in a boat, and they were seeing like 25 a day, but they were catching like one or two. And, you know, a lot of, like I was getting questioned a lot, well, why aren't you fishing where they're fishing? Well, and we share information. Well, I wasn't going to change because I was actually getting more fish to eat than they were. And that was the key to identifying a pattern is I want to find the most active fish that are eating, not necessarily just showing. Um, now, there's some advanced patterning things we can go over later in different times, kind of talk why fish aren't eating and how you go and attack that. But um, to keep the basics here, that is, uh, you know, a way to, look at it is make sure you're paying attention to the eat, not necessarily just the follows. Now I'm going to do something, Brad, I'm going to need some help with you with. So this is risky. So <laughs> um, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I- I'm trying to try and make sense out of what we just talked about. For sure. All right. So how do you apply this pattern? Like what I just talked about. So I want to give you some scenarios. So, Here's the information I collected on day one. I saw two fish between 10 and 11 a.m., and it was on a 10-foot weed edge, and it was a bucktail regular retrieve. I saw one fish at 12.30 p.m. It was a six-foot rock edge, and it was on top water. And I caught two fish between 8 and 9 p.m. on a 10-foot weed edge, and it was on top water. Do I have a potential pattern? If so, what is it? 
Jeff, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't put me on the spot with this quiz. This was all about you. <laughs> well, it sounds like you shouldn't hit the lake till about eight thirty at night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's so many different factors, and my wheels are turning here when I when I've been thinking about this whole thing. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is uh, my predator awareness zone, which means <laughs> where your boat is positioned. Because I do definitely believe in the boat control. I mean, it, it is so crucial, and I believe that that makes the difference. But it sounds like we're we're getting fish to bite right at dark or a hair after with top water. The thing that, that comes to my mind is that these fish might be transitioning into that spot. So we might either need to be shallower before that time frame or a little deeper. And again, that's all relative to boat control, and it might just be a window. And so do you have a pattern? It sounds like you're, you're working on a really good pattern, actually, Dave. That is, this is a perfect example because Brad is a guide and thinks like a guide. So he took it to a whole nother level than, than I wanted to take it to because he's going to assess it and assume the basics. So I'm going to cover the basics with you as to what we said. We saw two fish between 10 to 11 a.m. on Bucktails and 10 foot weed edge. So one fish on rocks, a six foot rock edge with top water and caught two between 8 and 9 p.m on the weed edge, 10 foot. So that basically means we had four fish on weed edges with only one fish on rocks, all 10 foot weed edges, and two eight at a certain time. So your pattern, to keep it simple, is a 10 foot weed edge. And no, and the key is you have to know where your boat was in, on that 10 foot weed edge. And, and you have to understand the three things we talked about and apply them. But the pattern is the weed edge the 10-foot weed edge. And that's where you would want to apply most of your time the next day is on the 10-foot weed edge. And, of course, hitting the biggest fish or the most fish between that 8 and 9 p.m. time frame um, and, and paying attention to that and or maybe it's going to be 8.45 to 9.45 if the moon phase was the key. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe uh, everyone doesn't know that a moon phase moves forward about 45 minutes every day. So that's why I just pushed it forward 45 minutes. So the pattern really is to keep things as simple as I can and not get advanced is it's a 10 foot weed edge and that's where you want to focus your time. And that doesn't mean that's all you fish. Cause again, you always want to make sure you throw in different spots, but that should be your dominant type structure you're hitting throughout the day. That was the example of the weed edge, and I'm so glad how you answered it because you said exactly what guys right. say. You know me too well, Dave. Yeah. I mean, I, the problem for me right away is that was my boat position in the right position to actually make a following fish eat? Right. So, you know, but that's advanced. So we can talk about that, but now that's going even more. That's, that's, not, that's now not simplifying it as best you can. <laughs> That's now adding complications, which I think we can do at a later time. Yep. Because you're right, absolutely. But that's adding complications as, as to this situation. Because sure. And that's the part where I, I wanted to try and simplify it. Only look at what time was it? What's your bowl position? Where did you lure, lure land and what speed was it going? Right? Only pay attention to those. If you get those dialed in, then the rest will come easy. But if you don't have those dialed in, 
it becomes very difficult to understand any of the advanced stuff because it, you, you won't know how to apply it because you're missing those basically those basic three things. I think we all clutter our brains overthinking sometimes. Sure. I mean, keep it simplistic, and that's what you're talking about tonight. Absolutely. That's basically what I had on Saturday. Anything else that I should talk about or anything that you have that you want to talk about, Brad? Well, without like going in-depth, I mean, definitely I wrote a couple different things down, Dave. Number one, boat control. I, it's one of the things that I have preached forever. I mean, whether it's the client, I think on this podcast, boat control is so crucial. And it doesn't mean that you need to have the top end electronics like you just said. I mean, you got 2D sonar. You can have good boat control. And of all the guys that are out there that fish walleyes for many years, I will just say that walleye fishermen make really, really good musky fishermen because they are conscious of where their boat is at any given time. And it's one of your top picks for, for patterning fish. Number two, speed of retrieval. I talk about it all the time because speed of retrieval is so key. And Jeff, you can agree with this. I mean, it's always a part of the topic. I don't know that we've ever put all of the different things right in order, but Dave just hammered it out. I'm going to say this, Dave. I'm going to ask you one question, and I, I have the ultimate answer at the end. Oh. But, but uh, people are thinking right now, when do you change up? When do you make the decision to actually change to try to find a different pattern? And, and that's a question that's been emailed, uh, messaged, text, whatever, to us multiple, multiple times. When do I change the bait I'm throwing? When do I leave the rocks to go to sand? When do I leave the sand to go to weed? So what's the best time? You already answered it. I, I, I know where your brain's probably going to go. I know Dave too well as well. But go ahead, shoot at it. Well, the first, the, the, I'm going to answer the, the second part of the, of the question first on bait. Don't get hung up on bait. Active fish are going to chase bait. And what I mean by that is you have your favorites, the things that you like. And if you want to switch up to the things you like, I, I think you should. If you want to stay with what you love, I think you should. I'm not too hung out on that. The only thing I would say is if there's one bait and not, you're killing it, why, why throw anything different? That doesn't make sense to me, but you can, and you probably still will catch fish. Maybe not as many, but you can. In certain times, does color matter? Absolutely. But on the 80-20, it does. Again, when does the pattern end? And what I would say is after the first day of no fish and you didn't contact any fish, and it was, you followed the right pattern and you threw in new spots in between like we talked about, the pattern is likely over. So I would go and fish new spots. And I would go and start over, like you said, two and two, like you talked about before. However, I would make sure I go back and hit that spot in between. So two, two, go back to two more. Maybe you call it the two, two, two rule. You go back uh, after, the, the, after the old pattern spot and you check it the next day, but you don't live it. And then you should be able to find a new pattern of where they have moved to, because I guarantee you they're there. They've moved. And a lot of times, too, if you're fishing a wheat edge, you could be on top of them. So be aware of that. The second day, the pattern really hasn't changed much. You're just on top of them. And all you had to do is move a boat lake cast out 
to get them because they're going to, they're near where they work. So my answer is after a full day, then I would start and change. That makes sense. Ultimately you hit on another thing. That's PMA, uh, positive monkey attitude. It's always good to be dumb. Somewhere in the box of hammers, actually. <laughs> and uh, I pretty much got that covered. So it works pretty good. <laughs> um, honestly, I mean, if you think about the whole picture here, it's about being positive. It's about controlling your boat. And as long as you're doing that and you pay attention to the little details, you're going to catch more fish. Agreed. And the little details being what time is it and what's your lure doing? That's all you need are the little details. If you have boat control, assume it's what time was it, what you lured it. So I'm glad that uh, Dave brought up the, you know, talking about how you're, you could be right on top of those fish because it brings me to a story that Bill from Slammer Tackle had told on one of my Team Rhino Outdoors Muskie Fishing Podcasts, talking about how he was on a trip in Canada and nobody was catching much in camp. And somehow, accidentally, he, I think it was boat side rise. He was letting his bait rise up near the boat. He caught a fish. And he's like, hmm, that's kind of odd. I wonder what that fish was doing there. And I was like, and then he got to think more about, much like David said, you know, thinking about maybe we need to bump out of, you know, a cast length off of where we are. And that's all it took. Change change the trip around just by bumping his boat out. He didn't even need to move spots. So I think sometimes we get stuck on, you know, how we work a spot, how deep we work a spot and that kind of stuff. And, and I think some of the guides I fish with also, they'll have you, you know, they'll have one guy casting on one side and they'll have another guy casting on the other side. And I think it's just to keep things, just keep checking, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to be aware of your own presence. Uh, one thing that I can tell you is that muskies are truly aware of their presence. And uh, if you're not looking the upper edge they're going to defeat you day in day out so i um people get kind of worked up when i start talking about holding your boat within one foot contour i mean that's the boat control that dave's talking about and if you can do that with the 2d once you get to know how you control your boat you're you're set the other side of it is too is if you're having follow after follow am i too close to the fish or am i too far away from the fish What's going to make them eat? So those are the changes that could potentially put more fish in your boat. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think sometimes, I think we've maybe talked about it before. I think, you know, I don't know, musky fishing is maybe like 80% mental. I think sometimes we think our th- ourselves out of mus- out of catching fish. That's so true. That is so very true, Jeff. We're, b- believe me, we're all mental. Yeah, we have to, to, to choose this as a love, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fact. <laughs> well if anybody is looking for more of this kind of stuff or questions on patterning or anything for dave in particular if you'd like you could email us backlash podcast at gmail.com you could send us a message on instagram or you could send us a message on facebook and we will do our best to collect them and have dave back on and talk about them because as far as i know dave is a pretty regular over there brad during the summer is that right yeah absolutely i mean dave spends a ton of time down in florida in his home state fishing tarpon but you know the cool thing about dave is he's fished muskies forever he got to uh do quite a bit with the musky world over on the Mille Lacs days 
and then across the whole state of Minnesota, Wisconsin. I mean, he's been everywhere. He's done it all. And uh, Dave has a ton of great, great input that will definitely help people in their boat time. Appreciate that, Brett. So, Dave, I personally want to thank you for putting all that together and, and coming up with the, you know, basically the program for tonight. Like I said, this episode wasn't supposed to be one that we did and recorded in the same week that we put it out. We, Like I said, we had talked about this previously, knowing that eventually at some point we would need an episode similar to this. And so I want to thank you personally for basically carrying the load tonight. I hope that maybe in the next week or so I can shake myself out of this funk and, and find it to be uh, you know passionate about talking musky fishing again. Unfortunately, that's not really the case the last couple of weeks. And I, I think I'll be, I think I'll get there eventually. It's just not quite, quite there yet, but I want to thank you, you know, for that. And Brad, thank you. Thank you. you know, Brad, I want to thank you too for, you know, basically holding over, holding the show over for the last couple of weeks. Like I said, I mean, I'll, I'm hoping that things return to normal, you know, fairly soon. Uh, Jeff, you're a rock star. Don't worry about anything. That is, we, uh, I think we have a good thing going here. I hope everybody loves hearing what we got to say. Um, sometimes they're probably like, what? But at the end of the day, we want to put out a good show, and I, I think we're doing decent at it. How's that sound? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to hit a home run every episode, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we're sure going to swing for the fence. Absolutely. And for people that are curious, we do have you know some guide stuff lined up. I had been messaging with a few guys, and we have a few things worked out. We're trying to hit a few different ranges in the musky world right now. Unfortunately, I didn't circle back to any of them in the last couple of weeks. And so I'll start doing that pretty soon. I don't know. We haven't really talked about next week yet. We'll figure something out for that. And, you know, like I said, bear with us for a moment. Things will return to normal here, you know, fairly soon. You know, once again, I just want to thank, you know, Dave and Brad for taking care of everything again tonight. I want to thank all of our listeners for their support every single week. And I want to thank all of our customers that support our businesses, which allow us to continue to do, you know, things like this podcast. And so with that being said, I want to thank everybody again, and we'll see everybody again next week.